Well, good evening, everybody. <clears throat> Welcome to Tuesday night ministry night. I don't really know how to um, end that. Outside of it feels awkward. But um, <clears throat> the band doesn't have to go off for a long time. I won't be long. Um, Why don't you? Can I ask you a favor, Jan? Can, can we get all the lights on? Thanks, buddy. I know these takes a little bit longer. <clears throat> Man, guys, what a privilege we have to love Jesus. Isn't it such a privilege? Whew. Isn't it so fun that we don't worship an idea, but we worship a person that when we start making his name great, he starts coming. Isn't it fun whenever we start making a big deal out of Jesus? It's like Jesus loves being with people who love him. God comes where he's wanted. And I, I want to tell you, friends, that the God that we serve loves to be with us. He loves to be among us. And um, over these last few weeks and for the next probably eight weeks, we are gonna, um, we're doing a series on knowing God. And if, if you haven't listened to the first two, I would, I would deeply encourage you to go listen to the first two episodes on our podcast um, and join us on this journey. We really are, as a people together, going on a journey into the knowledge of God. And A.W. Tozer, in his book, um, when he talks about the knowledge of God, he, he, he makes this statement. He says, there's two quotes that I kind of want to kick off tonight, and then we're going to go in a fun direction. He says, the first sentence of the book says, the first thought that comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. The first thought you think about God, right? Whenever you think Jesus, whatever comes to your mind first is the most important thing about you. Because you will never exceed your idea of God. <clears throat> Whatever you think about him, you will never exceed that idea. And the second thing he says is that there is one great confrontation that stands be before the church. One great confrontation. There's one ginormous challenger stands before the church of the ages and is this one. What is God like? The greatest challenge before the church is answering that question. What is God like? And, and that question should haunt you. That question should chase you down. What is he like? Tell me what is he like. If you, tell, if you say you know him, what is this God like that you know? And we will never outgrow our, we will never outgrow in society and as a people that thought or that answer. The deeper, the wider, the higher, that that answer goes and how deeper it is in line with God's truth, the more and more our societies will be looking like let it be on earth as it is in heaven. And the shallowness of that answer will create shallow people, shallow nations, and will cause destruction wherever it goes. And so our desire with, these 12, with this 12-week series truly is to, to dig to mine into this question, what is God like? And my desire is that you would get bitten in some way and you'll get infected with a hunger 
to spend the rest of your life on earth, the 80, 90 years you might have, and then the next 5 billion years figuring out how to answer that question. That your obsession will be answering that question. That your obsession will become that I cannot just tell you what it is like, I can show you what it's like. That I cannot just tell you the type of things that He is. Hopefully somehow my life has so been touched by the Spirit of God that I can show you what He is like. And tonight, that's kind of the direction I want to go. The first night, I kind of purposefully went after this idea that if we have a small idea of God, our reality will be small, right? And purposefully hammered on the fact that there is a requirement on the church. There's a requirement on God's people to truly figure out how to love Him with your mind. Is that your ability to spend tens of thousands of hours studying what He is like will directly correlate to the depth of your prayer life, directly correlate to how you sing songs. There's something about this that is correlated to each other. Is the mind and the knowledge of God. Okay? Then Caleb last week spoke about there is another realm to that knowledge. And it's the realm of work and worship. Right? So, yes, I can know Him in study, but I can also know Him in work. Because it's as I live in everyday life that the goodness and the wisdom of what He is like is found. And we see that at the end of Matthew 28, the promise of the Great Commission is not that it will be fulfilled, but that He will be with us. The great carrot at the end of the stick of Matthew 28 is not that all the nations will come to obedience. Of course that will happen. But the great carrot at the end of the stick is that, lo and behold, I'll be with you. That is the, that is the reinforcement. That is the, 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 the reward that God gives us. He says, hey, if you do this, guess what? I'll be with you. He doesn't say, hey, if you do this, guess what? You'll do cool things. That's kind of like, okay, well, yeah, of course we'll do cool things. That's Mark 16. But the great promise is God is like, hey, if you head in that direction, called all nations, here is what I'll give you. Wait for it. Me. I'll give you me. What about that? Little old you for little old me. And, and me is never-ending, all-consuming. The most beautiful, the most wonderful, the most intelligent, the kindest, the wisest. It says, I'll give you me if you go do it. And so, Caleb spoke about that fact and then the reality that we get to enter into worship then forever. Of that one that we worked with, that work is not a curse and how this works together. And tonight, I want to spend time and I want to talk a little bit about, I'm going to be myself and I'm going to be like, um, a little philosophical in the beginning again, and then, then we're going to go in this direction. But um, you need to understand that there's different types of knowledge. There's different type of knowing. So somebody use words and tell me what an orange tastes like. Citrusy. What does citrusy taste like? <laughs> right? So quickly somebody tells me, what does it smell like, right, all the Afrikaans people here, when you are nine years old and you're a boy, you play Kolfut rugby, what is that smell of the wet grass, right, explain to me what that is, right, if, if, if you are 
if you are here and you go like, okay, hey, if you've ever stood, right, in front of something so beautiful, for me, it was the first time I saw the Victoria Waterfalls. I, how do I use words to explain that? What knowledge did I obtain in that? What knowledge did I obtain in the first time that I held Anastasia on my hands? How do I explain that that goes beyond explaining? How, how does Ezekiel say, it is like, 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 and then he falls on his face because he doesn't have any more likes to say that it is. How, 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 how do we do certain things, right? If I would ask you, how do you explain the feeling, right? I travel a lot of when I land back in South Africa and I get to the airport and little Anastasia and Michelle like run to see us, say hi to me. Like that feeling, the knowledge that is obtained there, you only gain by experience. You only know what an orange tastes like by tasting it. You only know, right, what it feels like to have a child when you have one. There's parts of knowledge that is locked up in experience. There's part of knowing that only happens when you experience something. And our danger in talking about the knowledge of God and what the church has done a lot of times is they have locked up the knowledge of God as either an intellectual pursuit, something to be obtained in worship, but they've forgotten that God has made knowledge something to be encountered. Knowledge is something that you encounter. Knowledge is something that you experience. Knowledge is something that happens to you. It's not just some passive thing that you read. That's one form of knowledge. But there is a knowledge that's locked up in experience. There's a knowledge that's locked up in doing life. Right? That feeling when my grandfather officiated me Michelle's wedding and we haven't kissed since we dated and he says you might now kiss the bride. The euphoria that happens in that moment, knowing that her dress is truly white. We have truly held to this moment. And now I get to kiss the one for whom I've waited. Of course, touching of lips is awesome. You can laugh. It's real, God made it that way. But do you know what's more amazing? Is the, the culmination of five and a half years of pursuit of self-control, of pursuit, of working through, and now there's a day when that which used to be two becomes one. Now, how do I take words and explain that to you? You can't. And there's some things I think that are so special in the sight of God that words aren't enough. There's some things in the sight of God that are so unique that there aren't words. Remember that Voice of God song, Stephanie, great singer, writes, it says, the feeling you have when your grandfather tells you stories, right? All these different analogies that she, analogies that she uses. Do you know what she did? She spoke about the voice of God. The voice of God sounds like something I can't explain to you. But it's caught up in an experience. There's something that happens there. And when I thought about this, this week and talking about the knowledge of God in this third 
time, I felt a warning to not make this primarily an intellectual pursuit, but our intellect serves this pursuit. It's not only an intellectual pursuit, but my intellect serves this pursuit. I can read books about Michelle and never experience her. Somebody can preach to me about Michelle. Her best friends can tell me what she smells like. They can even give me some of her perfume. Doesn't mean I've experienced Michelle. And there is a level of knowledge that comes from knowing what her skin feels like. It feels different than mine. I'm a dude. Okay, there, there is a way that her voice sounds that if she speaks and my eyes are closed and all of you are talking, I know where she is. There is a knowledge that comes from experiencing her, knowing her, hearing her, that all of the explanation, all of the lecture, all of the books on earth will fall short to the knowledge that is gained by 10 minutes in her presence. So tonight, I want to talk a little bit about the knowledge that is gained from being in the presence of God. Two years ago, I had a dream. <clears throat> Never in my life had a dream like this before. It's a little bit mystical, but I want to explain it to you. And in this dream... <clears throat> There was a, a big building. I was walking around this building. And as, let's say this pulpit is the corner. And just before I turned the corner, I saw light radiating from behind the building. <clears throat> and I was kind of, it, it was strange for me because I, I know there was very bright light coming from there. And then I looked down and all of a sudden, there was rocks and stuff little like pebbles and there was the light was pushing the pebbles back kind of looked like the prince of egypt when he meets with god and the you all know the picture okay you all got it now that picture so i walked around and all of a sudden right before me i don't know how to explain it was the holy of holies in the temple and it made a noise it was like in front of me and it was like on fire and it was like vibrating it was like and it was like energy was emanating from it I, I can't explain it. I've never had anything and I remember I, I stood there and the amount of holiness that came from it my first thought was I need to run and hide I've never like guys I'm an only child who's been deeply loved by my parents I have never known the feeling of I need to run away from my authority, if I can use that language. But I stepped around that corner and before me was a presence of unlike anything I've ever seen. I can't explain it, I, even now talking about it, I, it's weird, I know. And I started like backtracking to start walking away and all of a sudden, <clears throat> someone grabs my hand. And I know this is strange, I'm still going to say it, but in the dream, 
I knew it was the Holy Spirit. And he grabbed my hand and he said to me, son, don't be afraid. Let's go in. And I woke up. And, and I knew in my heart there was an invitation from the Spirit to say that, Gabe, let me lead you to places in the Father that you are afraid to go. Let, let me take you to translucent, burning places that make things move around it. Let me take you to places you've never been. And a lot of what I'm talking about tonight sounds mystical, but there is a part of God that is mystical. What do you do when Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up a mountain and a cloud comes down and all of a sudden Jesus' face starts glowing and from his face is radiating light? Like what do you do with that? What do you do with the fact that God takes Moses and the elders of Israel up a mountain and there's a sapphire sea and they are eating a feast with Yahweh on a burning mountain? And it said, they saw him and he laid no hand of them and they ate and they feasted with the Lord. What, what, what do you do with some of this stuff? What do you do with the very fact that Ezekiel being a, a, a Israelite that is now in Babylon, he is not in the temple and all of a sudden he gets caught up in an encounter where he gets taken and he sees, as far as I know, He's the first one who sees the Son of Man at the right hand of the Father. What, what do you do with that, right? That he sees a man. He, he doesn't see a cloud. He says, at the center of the throne, behold, there's one that looks like the Son of Man, right? And he's, there's, there's, there's wheels and wheels and thunderings and lightnings and, 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 and strange things that freak us out. But there was a knowledge that was locked up in encountering the presence of a person that gave Ezekiel access to something that will happen 700 years later. It's Daniel being caught up in the heavens and seeing the Son of Man being brought up with a cloud, taken and led in procession to the Ancient of Days and how the Ancient of Days gives the Son of Man, the nations of the earth, the peoples of the earth and people of all languages and says, they are now yours. To the increase of your government, there will be no end. Sometimes in the Western world, we have so elevated the mind that we have forgotten that a lot of our scriptures was mystical encounters that went not without the mind, but I want to say in no weird language, I'm never telling you to go beyond scripture, but it went beyond the mind. If it went without the mind, they couldn't have talked about it. Because you need your mind to speak. But what these experiences did, the knowledge that was caught up here, was like you can see them trying to find words. And like it's like this thing and it's like this thing and it's eyes and it's wheels and it's turning and it's thunderings and oh, I don't know. And I, and I feel that there is a portion of our knowledge of Him that tonight's worship becomes strange if the only place you can go is 1 plus 1 equals 2 right now. There's a part of tonight's worship when we're singing, worthy is the Lamb, that we need to trust the Lord to go like, God, I am not just mind. I am not just soul, but a part of me is spirit. And it is seated in heavenly places. And it is, it is joining in worship. Hebrews 12, like with myriads of angels, I am now where? Where does it say we are right now? 
in Zion. It says that, hey, we are not afraid to touch this mountain right now. There is a place that we are seated together in the presence of God. And friends, I want to tell you that something preceded, something preceded the heart of Moses before he had his Exodus 34 moment. What is Exodus 34? Exodus 34, 6 and 7. The Lord, the Lord, gracious, or it says compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, loving kindness and faithfulness, right? That verse there is the most quoted piece of Scripture in all the Bible. There is no piece of Scripture that talks more about what God is like, and there's no piece of Scripture in the whole Bible that's used more. But something preceded that verse. There was a longing in the heart of Moses that preceded an intellectual understanding of what God is like. And what preceded that we see in Exodus 32. Now I want to read this to you. It is a wild piece of scripture because the people just made a golden calf. And yeah, let's just leave it there. I'm going to go to Exodus 33. The Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought out of Egypt, and go to a land I promised on an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to your descendants. Now, here's an important thing you need to recognize. The people have just committed the most horrible crime. God just saved them out of Egypt. He's about to make a covenant com commitment to them, and then what do they do? They sell their slaves. They sell their souls to idolatry. And then... God tells them, hey, here's the thing. You might have broken your word. I will never break mine. I will still give you this land. And Moses stands before the Lord and he says this. The Lord says to him, I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people. I might destroy you on the way. Now, let me ask you this. Imagine, who feels called to the Middle East? Raise your hand. Hey, high hand, no, half elbows. Imagine God tells you, hey, Kelly, I will give you Saudi, okay? And I will send an angel before you. And a nation that is known to not be a Christian nation will become one of great fruitfulness. It will be called the land of milk and honey. And I will keep my promises of every saint that has prayed for that nation. Hallelujah. I'll send an angel. But here's the thing. I can't go with you. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But if I would ask every promise in this room that has been spoken over you, over your family, over your people, your nation, where you're from. And I would say, imagine God says, I will fulfill the promises that I give every one of them. But, and I will send an angel, an emissary of my word, but I won't go with you. If we in this room will be honest, I promise you, some people in this room will go like, man, that might be a good deal. You will still love me. You understand, like God didn't tell them that he will break his covenant with them. He just said, I will send an angel with you. And... I believe this moment here was probably the greatest test in Moses' life. The God was saying to Moses, Moses, I will give you everything you have dreamed of. 
I will give you the promise of the last 430 years. You go. And as I know God, his tone of voice was probably not sarcastic. He was sincere. He was standing before Moses later in that piece of scripture. It talks about the tent of meeting. And it says that God spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And I want you to listen to Moses' response. Moses says, <clears throat> when the people, the people, when the people he heard these distressing voice, words, they began to mourn. No one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites you are stiff-necked people. If I go with you even a moment, I will destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what needs to happen to you. And what happens on here Listen to this. Moses said to the Lord, you are telling me, lead these people, but you will not let me know whom you'll send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your way so I might know you and continue to find favor. And remember that in this nation is your people. Listen to this. Listen to the Lord's response. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all other peoples on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you have asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses reaches a little further and he says, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy and will have mercy and compassion and will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face nor may anyone see me and live. Then the Lord said, this this is a place near me where you might stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until you have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you can see my back, but my face you must, face you must not see. And then the next piece of scripture goes on and is then the Lord that passes in front of Moses and says, I'm the Lord, the Lord who is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, merciful, abounding in love and kindness. But I want you to see something here. Before this moment happened, Moses is standing before the Lord. And God comes to Moses and he says, hey, I will give you success. Here you go. Boom. And all of the people are realizing something bad is happening right now. And the people say, no for judgment. Go read that piece of scripture. They didn't say no because God doesn't go with them. They're afraid of the consequences of their actions. They do not want God. But Moses comes before God and he says, if you do not come with me, do not send us. I don't care. You can keep the promised land. I want you. I want you. I want you. And Moses stands before the Lord and he says, here's the thing. If I found favor in your sight, you need to come with us because there's nothing on the earth that distinguishes us from other nations. 
Now friends, I want to tell you, in the church today, it's the same thing. Other religions have great teachers. They have smart books. They have apologists. They have people that can argue their points from a thousand different directions. They even work miracles. They see things happen. But what they do not have among them is that God lives among them. And here's the thing. The church has limited the knowledge of God only to an intellectual understanding. And we look like smart pagans because the presence of God is not found but good ideas. My friends, we need to get this. Is that there is no contradiction between the mind and the spirit desiring God to be with it. The only reason I can talk about this is because I've used my mind. But the reason I want it is because my inner man has drank from something I cannot forget. Something on the inside has tasted life. Something other than has touched my heart. And I hope that we can be a people like Moses that says, God, we don't care for revival if we don't get you. We don't care for the ends of the earth if we don't get you. We don't care about all these shiny things around us. We want you. You are the reward. You are the thing. At the end of the age, my friends, missions will cease to exist. Ministry will cease to exist. The only thing that will exist is Him. And then what will matter is do we know Him? But that knowledge isn't just like how I know a book. It's not just how I know something that somebody taught me. That knowledge needs to be the way that I have known Michelle. It needs to be a becoming one. It needs to be a covenant connection that requires time spent so that that knowledge moves beyond me just dating God to me being in a covenant with Him that multiplies life on the inside. My friends, that comes with time. It comes with time spent in His presence. It comes with time spent with Him, just soaking, praying, desiring, asking, God, I want to know you. There is a difference between God's omnipresence and His manifest presence. And if you do not know the difference, you've not experienced it. There's something different that happens when we all say, oh, God is here. And when God is here, we hide underneath chairs. There's something that happens when we say God is among us and it's amazing and God is among us and lost people walk in the room and they start making comments. And friends, I long for the days where we have so set our hearts to become a dwelling place, where our lives have become such a house of prayer that God longs to visit His people. That God goes like, I have found a people for my name. I have found a people who do not want the promise without me. I found a people of the presence who value my presence above all else. Friends, I will tell you today that the knowledge of God without the experience of God always leads to arrogance. I don't care how many books of humility you have read until the King of Glory touches you, you will stay prideful. You can sleep, eat, drink, snort Andrew Murray on the humility of God. You can do whatever you want with that book. Until glory touches you, pride stays in you. Until you do not run into a wall that does not move and it says, I love you. I do not care how much you study the attributes of self-control. You cannot have it.
until you have not beheld that one in your inner man through which the angels cry, holy, 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 songs about holiness will only bore you. I can sing holy forever. I can sing those words because there's dimensions to holy. There is levels to holy. What does that mean? If you don't know, follow me. Let me show you. There's places in him that goes beyond my rational mind, but it's not without my mind. And so many times the Western world have so idolized the need to make everything make sense. The mystery of knowing him we have forgotten. Why in this book it seems like God doesn't feel the need to explain certain things? No need. No need. This kind only goes up by prayer and fasting. Why? I, he didn't feel the need to explain that. No need. Well, okay, we can cross-reference all these things. Yeah, I know. And all of the answers that you're going to give me, I can probably point to an experience you had to prove it. There's something about this life in God that we need to get serious of as a people. That I want to meet with you. I want to encounter you. I remember when I just got saved. The greatest gift, honestly. Not the greatest gift. One of the greatest gifts that I've ever been given was a little book called Practicing the Presence by Brother Lawrence. Tiny little book. Tiny, tiny, tiny. Our internship is reading it. It's like 87 pages, 86 pages. And that book talks about the pleasure of unbroken fellowship in the presence of God. And that book has taught me more about God than a lot of other things. Because you know what it did? That book, knowledge, unlocked knowledge. It unlocked an understanding that comes from quiet turning my affection. It unlocked something that sitting in His presence is life. That manifest presence that really the kavod, glory, the weightiness of God isn't just a smart idea. It is a real person visiting us. I feel that we enter into error so many times in the Western world when we try to explain things as meant to be experienced. We try to explain things as meant to be known and experienced. We try to show people things that I can only show you in experience. And tonight, as we're here together, my challenge that I want to lay before you is you might know how to read a book, but do you know how to get in His presence? You might know how to write an essay, but can you get into His presence? Don't tell me you've read 500 books. Tell me the hours you've spent with Him. Because those books only find meaning when the one who helped write them explains them to you. There's something about life in the presence of God that cannot be faked. I don't care what you tell me. You can see if somebody has been up the mountain. You can see their glow. And the glow now does not come from the law that is required and works. It is when the Spirit possesses us on the inside. And the promise is it goes from glory to glory as we behold them with unveiled faces. Friends, friends, 
We need to know Him. We need to be with Him. We need to learn how to commune with Him, how to fellowship with Him. There's something that happens when the human spirit gets touched by His spirit. It changes us. I fully believe that God unlocked the knowledge of Exodus 34 verse 6 because of the question that Moses asked in Exodus 32. Moses told God, I want you, your person. And God said, let me show you great and wonderful things. I, I do not think revelation truly comes without presence. I think information comes without presence. But when his person comes and explains truth to you, that information becomes revelation. Because the person of the Spirit comes and he unlocks certain things. Now a lot of us here go like, okay, Gabe, I know this. I'm happy you do. Now show me. Show me. How long does it take you to get bored? How long does it take you when you need another smart thing? When you need another YouTube clip? When you need another podcast? Or have you learned to drink from the river of delight? Have you learned how to eat when he says, in my right hand are pleasures forevermore? Have you learned how to do that? And if we haven't, guys, I want to tell you, this is not a rebuke, it's an invitation. It's an invitation to say, hey, do not stay ankle deep. Do not stay knee deep. Do not stay waist deep. Swim in this river and let it catch you up. Let this river of joy that flows, flows from His throne, let it catch you up. Because here's what happens. People know it.